0: Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan and you may remember we did mention this last week. You may not, you may be very disappointed to hear, but there is no Mark this week. So welcome to season eight, episode seven. It is just me. It's a case that Mark wanted to cover. So I do feel a little bit bad for him, but then I remember he's on holiday Let's not feel that bad for him at all. (laughs) Before I get cracking on with this week's case, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to our newest Patreon supporters. So a huge thank you to Holly Eddy, Ricky Martin Medcalf, and I really hope your name is Ricky Martin Medcalf because I love Ricky Martins. That's fun. Nick Hughes, Alice and Vicky Bullock. So thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for becoming Patreon supporters and thank you to everybody who is an existing Patreon supporter you'll have just recently had your september patreon bonus episode and if you would like to join these guys you can head to patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast have a look at the different levels of membership and what you can get for those so yeah huge thank you we always kind of do a big thank you at the beginning because it just blows our mind that you guys have decided to monetarily sponsor us it's incredible so cheers indeed Situated just off the western shore of the Gulf of Thailand and just 45 kilometres across the sea to the north of the world-famous party island of Koh Phangan, this Thai island of Koh Tao is the smallest in a group of three holiday islands. If you've ever been backpacking in Southeast Asia or even if you've inquired after a tropical beach holiday on that continent, then the odds are you've heard of this place. Koh Tao also affectionately known by backpackers and locals as Turtle Island, is a small piece of paradise which has become famous as undoubtedly one of the top scuba diving destinations in Thailand, if not in the world. And what's more, the island, which is the site of important breeding grounds for hawksbill and green turtles, is now a centre for environmentally friendly diving practices, including the reintroduction of hundreds of juvenile turtles to the island's ecosystem and efforts to preserve and grow coral reefs. Once a destination almost exclusively for scuba divers and those looking to get away from it all, Koh Tao soon evolved with its growing popularity and is now a famous destination for wild young backpackers to warm up before, or wind down from, the world-famous Full Moon Party on that neighbouring party island of Koh Phanan. Fortunately, despite its enormous popularity in contrast to its relatively small size, Most of the beaches around Koh Tao have retained much of their unrivalled beauty and the island remains a charming, laid-back, atmospheric destination with something to suit everyone. Accommodation options range heavily from ultra-basic thatch-roof bungalows to chic boutique, ultra-luxurious resorts and guest houses. Koh Tao is a dream getaway and a unique opportunity for those on any budget to enjoy the beauty of one of Thailand's most spectacular islands. Non-divers can also appreciate the beauty of Koh Tao, which seems relatively devoid of inhabitants during the daytime, as most visitors to the island prefer prefer spending their days underwater. So non-divers can take a boat trip around the island, visit Koh Tao's many gorgeous beaches and bays, hike to the summit of the island, study yoga, or simply relax in a hammock, enjoying the view of nearby Koh Yan, a spectacular attraction. However, for all the beauty, serenity and apparent perfection that Koh Tao radiates on the surface, there are those who would urge you not to be fooled and to tread extremely lightly. Koh Tao has a dark underbelly, a sinister history of mysterious deaths, mafia violence and allegations of a widespread cover-up by the Thai authorities to keep its dark secrets buried forever. As a haven for young backpackers drawn to the beautiful beaches, pumping nightlife and rampant hedonism, the island, pre-Covid, saw more than half a million young travellers arrive on its shores each year. The apparent lack of police presence on the island, coupled with the general lack of restrictions and the feeling that one is free to do what they like, tends to send people wild and really takes the party scene to a whole new level. This is undeniably the biggest appeal for most people when it comes to Koh Tao. However, over the years, this has also opened the doors for some gruesome events to take place often with devastating and deadly results. 23-year-old Hannah Witheridge and 24-year-old David Miller were two such backpackers. Prior to the tragic events that took place on Koh in September 2014, David and Hannah were strangers to one another. Hannah Witheridge was born in October 1990 in Hemsby, a coastal village in Norfolk. She was one of four children to her parents Susan and Tony Witheridge. Hannah was extremely close to her parents and siblings and was described as an outgoing, adventurous and funny young woman with big ambitions. In 2014 and just 23 years old, Hannah decided to take a gap year from her postgraduate speech and language therapy course at the University of Essex. Like many other young students, Hannah eagerly decided that she wanted to spend her gap year backpacking in Southeast Asia. Susan Witheridge, Hannah's mother, was troubled by her daughter's decision from the very beginning. She sensed danger immediately, perceiving Thailand to be a dangerous place for an attractive young woman like Hannah to be travelling alone. She tried to delicately persuade her daughter to spend her gap year in a safer destination such as Europe, Australia or even New Zealand. Hannah was sympathetic to her mother's concerns, but ultimately her mind was made up. Her university studies had been long, stressful and tough. For months, the combined weight of her multiple exams, assignments and essay deadlines had been a constant source of anxiety for Hannah. She needed to rest and not think about it for a while. She craved adventure and she felt drawn to the tropical beauty and excitement of Thailand. Much to her mother's relief, Hannah ultimately decided to take the trip with two of her closest friends rather than travel solo, and she promised to contact her parents every day without fail. Hannah and her friends left for Thailand in late August and spent time in Bangkok and Chiang Mai before heading down to the South Islands in early to mid-September. Hannah contacted her parents and informed them that she had safely arrived by boat to the island of Koh Tao on the 12th of September 2014. The news that Hannah was on a tiny island was a source of relief for her parents who assumed that she would be spending her time sunbathing and exploring the island with her friends and there was no obvious danger. That day, Hannah and her friends checked into the Ocean View bungalows on the Seri Beach area of the island. It's a cheap, no-frills coastside accommodation with very basic facilities. Pretty standard, kind of low-level accommodation for backpackers who are travelling on a shoestring budget. And it was here that Hannah first met fellow British backpacker named David Miller, who was staying with his friend Chris in an adjacent bungalow. 24-year-old David was from Jersey in the UK and was, like Hannah, a dedicated and ambitious student who was enjoying a gap year from studying for his degree in civil and structural engineering at Leeds University. David had just spent six weeks on a work placement with a major mining company in Perth on Australia and David and his friend Chris were spending a few weeks touring and partying in Thailand before heading back to the UK to resume their studies. David's former high school head teacher described him as a bright young man and a talented artist with real potential to forge a worthwhile and fruitful path in his life. David and Chris soon became acquainted with Hannah and her friends, and the six of them began socialising and exploring the beautiful island together as a group. David and Hannah were quickly taken by one another, and it is understood that there was a developing romantic connection between them. And it's just so amazing, isn't it? Wonderful to think of it. I mean, it's... It's obviously a true crime podcast and things are not going to go wonderfully for these people, so that's horrible. But you can just imagine, like, carefree, away from your studies, and then you're next door to this fit guy, and you just think, like, the world is your oyster at this point, don't you? You just ah, oh. I can imagine, like, long days and the sun going down and cocktails. just makes me feel really sad to know that potentially, well... Not potentially, that this is not going to end nicely. On the evening of September the 14th, 2014, at around 7pm, David, Hannah and the rest of their group of friends met up for pre-drinks at a local backpacker bar, anticipating a big night out together. They had dinner together and witnesses observed that the group were laughing, drinking and generally having a great time. Nothing appeared out of the ordinary. Just after midnight, the group split and went in separate directions. Hannah and her friends decided to hit up the AC Bar, a popular backpacker's hangout on Sairi Beach, while David and his friends were observed going to a local supermarket and chatting with other backpackers in the street. By two o'clock in the morning, David had rejoined Hannah at the AC Bar, and the pair were observed partying, drinking and dancing together. They appeared to be having the time of their lives. They left the bar together at around 2.15 and walked along the dark and secluded coastline of Sayri Beach in the direction of their accommodation. But neither Hannah nor David were ever seen alive again. The following morning, as a hotel worker made her way to work, she stumbled upon a horrifying discovery. Hannah's battered body lay dead and partially naked on the sand. She had catastrophic head injuries, her clothes had been torn off her body and lay scattered around the scene. Just 12 metres away, facing, floating face down and lifeless in the shallow, bloodied surf, was the dead body of David Miller. He had also sustained catastrophic head injuries, and it appeared as though he had been brutally battered to within an inch of his life before being dragged unconscious into the ocean and cruelly left to drown. The beautiful white sand and clear turquoise waters were stained with the blood of two young and innocent backpackers. It was a truly heartbreaking scene. The Thai hotel worker who made the discovery later told the media, I never want to see that scene again. It was a scene that that brings no happiness at all. And both bodies were found just metres away from the relative safety of their bungalows. The scene of the crime was an excessively gruesome one, and even the local police were taken aback by the sheer brutality of the attacks. After an initial search of the beach, the police found what they confidently believed was the murder weapon, an old wooden garden hoe that was covered in blood. It was discovered just casually propped up against a wall not far from the beach. The Thai police were alerted and immediately launched a very shaky murder investigation. However, there were huge problems right from the get-go. As mentioned earlier, Koh Tao is a comparatively small island and as such it only had one small police station with six police officers working there. The officers worked as hard as they could to preserve the integrity of the crime scene, but they simply didn't have the resources or the manpower to make that happen. And I do wonder as well, really, how often had they ever had to deal with murder, and especially such brutal murder? They must have been out of their depth. And tourists failed to respect the police cordon, casually walking right across the crime scene, potentially destroying crucial forensic evidence. Some even took pictures of the dead bodies and tried to sell them to the media. Others uploaded them directly onto social media. This disgraceful act would gone to cause untold trauma and distress on Hannah and David's friends and families back home, many of whom learned of their deaths by seeing the gruesome images being circulated on Facebook. God, that's horrendous, isn't it? And furthermore, the Thai police simply did not have the modern investigation facilities that we're lucky to have here in the West, and therefore a lot of avenues were either botched or overlooked entirely. The crime scene became so hopelessly compromised that the Thai government intervened and urgently deployed police reinforcements and experienced detectives to the island from Bangkok to assist the struggling Koh officers. The Thai authorities have always claimed that they just wanted to help to find the killer and get justice for Hannah and David, but it is very clear why the situation was met with such a so- sense of urgency. The tourism industry is one of Thailand's main economic sectors, accounting for almost 10% of its GDP. So to put that into context, tourism revenue in 2016 alone fetched the country an estimated 71 billion US dollars By now, the international media had caught wind of the story and the tragic events on the island were beginning to make headlines across Europe and beyond. The story was single-handedly destroying the illusion of tourist safety that the Thai government had always tried so hard to uphold. Put it another way, it was making Thailand look very dangerous. And as far as the Thai government were concerned, that was bad for business. The stakes were high. They needed to solve this case at all costs. The newly arrived detectives immediately took full control of the crime scene and aggressively apprehended or arrested anyone who dared to go anywhere near it without permission. And next, they put their primary focus on the forensics evidence that had been gathered from the most obvious sources, so including the murder weapon, the bodies themselves, and the clothing that had been torn from Hannah's body during the attack. After a notably brief analysis, the police quickly confirmed to the media that they had identified the DNA profiles of two Asian male suspects and immediately set about sweeping the island, carrying out compulsory DNA swabs from hundreds of local Asian men. Initially, it looked as though the police were carrying out a diligent and organised investigation into a horrible double murder. However, as the news swept rapidly across the tiny island, it wasn't long before things began to descend into lawlessness and chaos. The problems began when Kotow's community of close-knit backpackers began circulating completely unsubstantiated rumours and ill-informed theories surrounding who had killed Hannah and David and why. Seemingly out of nowhere, one of David Miller's backpacker friends, Sean McCanner, became an unofficial suspect after an unfounded rumour emerged that he was seen running through the streets covered in blood on the night of the killing. And as a result, local thugs began hounding Sean, trying to intimidate a confession from him. Sean McCanner was allegedly cornered in a supermarket by the thugs, who menacingly told him, it was you who killed them, we know it was you, you're going to hang yourself tonight, we're going to watch you hang. Fearing for his life, Sean spent the rest of that night hiding out in the jungle before fleeing the island early the following morning and he'd posted on his Facebook page, Thai Mafia are trying to kill me, please help me. Sean was not making this up, he was not exaggerating, his life was undoubtedly in danger and his seemingly outlandish claim that he was being pursued by the Thai Mafia was very real indeed because it transpired that the local men who were hounding Sean were indeed members of a large, wealthy local family, known officially as the Tuichian, but commonly known as the Tao Mafia. The Tuichian are said to own enormous swathes of land on Tao, as well as more local businesses than any other families. By Thai standards, they are incredibly wealthy and dangerously influential too. One well-known travel blogger who lived as an expat on Tao for about six years had regular negative encounters with the family, and often wrote about it in her blog, describing how the family would approach new businesses and demand protection money, how they also had full control over the police force, and they were not above attacking or burning down the homes and businesses of people who crossed them. So poor Sean, and I'm so glad that he did manage to get away, and how absolutely terrifying. And you can understand that rumours start to spread and people start to have comments and stuff, but that is a horrendously dangerous rumour to spread. This family had a high degree of control over how many tourists could come and go from the island on any given day and they were essentially untouchable. They would conduct their business with absolute impunity. Another Koh expat who also owns a blog echoes these mafiosi claims saying that the outward beauty of the island hides a very dark underbelly of crime, intimidation, violence and even murder at the hands of a ruthless mafia who literally have the entire Koh police force on their payroll. This prompted the media to start digging deeper into Kotal's history. Unsurprisingly, the more they probed, more and more disturbing tales began to surface. And it soon became frighteningly clear that David and Hannah are far from being the first tourists to have died or vanished on Kotal under dubious circumstances. It was also suggested that the Thai police had a habit of ignoring any suspicious circumstances and passing them as unfortunate accidents and the media then began to dub Kotao as Death Island. If this wasn't bad enough for Kotao's image, it was soon made much worse when observers of the crime scene noticed an unusual presence at the crime scene of David and Hannah, not to mention a rather uncomfortable coincidence. It just so happened that on the morning morning that David and Hannah's bodies were discovered, one of the first Thai people to arrive at the scene of the murders was, in fact, a member of the Chuichian family. He, of course, owned the Ocean View bungalows where Hannah and David were staying and was alerted by one of his workers early in the morning when the bodies were first discovered. He was then photographed standing next to local officers in restricted areas, apparently giving them orders, making lots of phone calls. Some said he looked angry and it also later transpired that he was one of the men who had chased and threatened to kill Shaw McKenna. His presence prompted speculation that perhaps the family were the ones responsible, or that it could have been someone associated with the family, and that a cover-up was on the cards. After all, what possible business did the hotel owner have being at the crime scene? As rumours go, this one was not so far-fetched, especially what happened next. As the police continued their efforts to identify the DNA profiles that they had discovered at the crime scene, they eventually turned their attention to Koh Tao's huge Burmese migrant community. The Burmese migrants, who are essentially refugees fleeing the long-running political unrest in Myanmar, are such high in number in Thailand that they far outnumber the Thai population on many of the islands in the south, Koh Tao being one of them. Many of them enter the country illegally and work for pitifully low sums of money doing manual work in hotels, bars, restaurants, and shops, etc. And it is known that the Burmese are a marginalised group and they are treated very poorly by their Thai neighbours. They are often oppressed and exploited. The Thai population see them as a drain on society. During the investigation into Hannah and David's death, several Burmese migrants reported that they were being aggressively targeted by the police with some even going as far as alleging that they had been beaten and even tortured by officers trying to force confessions out of them. Some of the victims came forward with picture evidence of the physical harm that had come to them in the wake of the police campaign to bag a perpetrator. Police allegedly beat them with canes, whipped the soles of their feet and even threw boiling water at them during violent interrogations. So therefore, it came as no real surprise to anyone when the police announced that they had identified not just two, but three Burmese suspects in the murder investigation. After spending hours analysing CCTV footage, the detectives had spotted three individuals riding a motorcycle to a nearby supermarket. The men bought beer and cigarettes and hopped back on the bike, heading towards the beach. Further CCTV footage near the crime scene also showed one of the three men apparently running into an alleyway. It took almost two weeks for the police to identify the three men and move to arrest them. The suspects were all twenty two year old Burmese men. Their names were Mao Mao, Zhao Lin and Wei Fo. The police raided the home of Zhao Lin and he was placed under arrest. Not long after, Wei Fo was discovered hiding on a boat and he too was arrested, and Mao Mao was interrogated by police but promptly released without any charge. So Zhaolin and Weifo had their clothes and their motorbikes seized and taken away for a forensic examination. And initially they were only charged with immigration offences, so being in Thailand illegally. The two boys were then subjected to relentless and brutal interrogations. As they couldn't actually speak Thai, the police pulled in random Burmese food vendors from the street and forced them to act as interpreters. Somewhat unsurprisingly, given the Thai police's cruelly aggressive behaviour in the run-up to the arrests, within a relatively short window of time, the two men had made detailed confessions to being responsible for the murder of Hannah and David. And during the confession, both men stated that they were driven by a desire to rape Hannah when they became sexually aroused, watching her and David kissing intimately on the beach. Neither Lin or Weifo could afford proper legal representation. However, after a visit from a consultant lawyer from the Myanmar embassy, both men retracted their statements. They claimed they'd made those confessions under extreme duress and accused the Thai police of using torture methods to force a confession from them, alleging that they had been beaten, left naked in a freezing room, threatened with electrocution and also execution. The police obviously, of course, strongly refuted this claim and openly shared with the media the evidence that they had that they said irrefutably connected the two men to the murders. For example, it was said that David's missing phone was found at an address that was connected to Wayfo. The detectives contacted the CID in the UK who were able to match the phone serial number directly to David, but WAW later claimed that he simply found the phone on the beach. And the police also said that both the suspect's DNA matched a semen sample taken from Hannah's body. In a highly unusual and insanely controversial move, the police then staged a macabre kind of press conference on the very same spot of the beach where Hannah and David's bodies were found. And here they forced Zhao and Wei to recreate what they did in full view of the cameras. This move prompted scathing criticism of the Thai police by legal experts from around the world who branded the show as appalling, potentially prejudicial to a fair hearing, and I completely agree, that is absolutely horrendous. By now, the world's media was heavily invested in this ongoing story, and several news outlets began accusing the police of corruption, torture and planting evidence in a bid to bring about a quick conviction and a swift end to the matter. The rumours were only further fuelled when Thailand's National Human Rights Commission attempted to investigate the allegations of torture, but police representatives failed to show up at four separately scheduled meetings. Following that, further attempts to investigate the torture allegations and the ongoing investigation were actively blocked by the police. A defence team from Bangkok, composed of nearly 20 lawyers, were only permitted half an hour to meet the two men a subsequent request by the defence team to delay the hearing and allow more time to prepare, denied by the judge at the courthouse on the larger neighbouring island of Koh Samui, a defence team from Bangkok. So they, you know, there's 20 lawyers, half an hour to meet the two men that they were supposed to represent. In December 2014, Zhao and Wei were each indicted on five charges, premeditated murder, killing to conceal a criminal offence, rape, illegal entry into Thailand and staying in the country without permission. Wei Fio was also charged with the theft of David's phone. The murder trial for Lin and Weifou commenced on the 8th of J- July in 2015 at the Koh Samui Provincial Court and the proceedings lasted for 18 days. The men were defended by pro bono, two volunteer lawyers from the Lawyers' Council of Thailand. Whilst the trial was attended by representatives from Amnesty International and the UK's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, the judge caused yet more controversy by padding the media or public note-takers from entering the courtroom. This was a decision that was slammed by various human rights groups. The prosecution argued that Zhao Lin and Wei Fo fully intended to kill David, using a hoe to hit him multiple times on the head, causing near-fatal injuries to his brain, before dragging him unconscious to the water to let him drown. The same home was then used to knock Hannah unconscious, after which the defendants took turns raping her before killing her with the hoe as well and leaving her for death. As there were no known eyewitnesses to the murder, the only other argument for the prosecution was the DNA samples taken from Hannah's body, which, as they argued, proved their guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Conversely, the defence team were unable to contend with such compelling DNA evidence. Instead, they tried to plant seeds of doubt in the minds of the judges surrounding the legitimacy of the police's investigation, highlighting the police's mishandling of forensic evidence, a lack of legal representation during the interrogations, the use of threats and intimidation to secure a confession, and intimidation of witnesses. They also made allegations of institutional racism into the mix by arguing that the defendants, since they were vulnerable as illegal migrant workers, were scapegoated by the police for the crime to bring about a conviction. After some heated arguments, the defence managed to persuade the judge to have the DNA from Hannah's body retested. However, the police claimed that the samples had been used up and no longer existed. Instead, they were able to provide DNA samples from the murder weapon. The head of the country's Central Institute of Forensic Science found that the DNA on the hoe did not match either Zhao Lin or Wei Fei. Nevertheless, on the 24th of December 2015, Zhao Lin and Wei Fo were found guilty of murder of Hannah Witheridge and David Miller by the three judges, and the men were sentenced to death. The families of Hannah and David travelled to Thailand to be present at the trial, but the experience was clearly a traumatic one for all involved. Several relatives became overwhelmed with emotion when the court was shown images of Hannah's body and told graphic details of her injuries. Speaking to the media after the trial, both families expressed satisfaction with the outcome and when asked about the allegations of torture and corruption by the police, they offered no comment. Instead, Hannah's family stated that they were confident in the Thai police's work. David's family also expressed confidence in the Thai judicial process, saying that the evidence against the defendant seemed powerful and convincing. Sao Lin and Weifo's lawyers launched an appeal against the sentence in 2017, but they were unsuccessful. The Supreme Court of Thailand upheld the sentence, stating that the police had handled the case correctly, and the forensic evidence was clear, credible, and detailed. Lin and Weifo's salvation came from elsewhere. On the 14th of August 2020, to commemorate the King of Thailand's birthday, and to illustrate his clemency, the killer's death sentences were commuted to life imprisonment on a royal decree. However, no parole opportunities were forthcoming, and barring the unlikely event of a royal pardon, both men will likely still spend the rest of their natural lives in prison. It's worth mentioning that prison life in the UK might as well be a teddy bear's picnic compared with prison life in Thailand, which has been globally condemned. It's utterly horrifying as human rights abuses. Prisoners always wear shackles on their ankles day and night. They are subjected to savage beatings by the guard for... Even minor indiscretions, murder and rape is commonplace, and a lot of prisoners succumb to diseases caused by being forced to live in basically extremely unsanitary conditions. So depending on how you view this, life in prison opposed to the death penalty may not be much of a mercy. Either way, a lawyer for Zhao Lin and Wei told the BBC that the pair had not admitted their guilt when their death sentences were commuted, and they still maintain their innocence to this day. Following the outcome of the initial trial, Hannah Witheridge's body was repatriated back to the UK and she was buried near her family home following a funeral service that was billed as a celebration of her life. Her mourners encouraged to wear bright colours. Her family, parents Tony and Sue, brother Paul and sisters Tanya and Laura, described Witheridge as a beautiful person inside and out, saying she would have gone on to make a significant difference to the lives of many people. David was also repatriated and buried in his hometown in Jersey. Like Hannah, David's mourners were also encouraged to wear colourful clothes in celebration of his short yet exciting life of adventure as his body was carried in a coffin covered in sunflowers. Not long afterwards, his parents and younger brother travelled to Koh to visit the spot where he had been killed and they left flowers as well as several personal mementos including a copy of the programme for his funeral service. A year after his death, the parents unveiled a memorial for him, a bench on the north coast of his home island, and it has inscribed on it, never let a person sit alone. In the immediate aftermath of the incident on Sari Beach, the yearly number of visitors on Koh Tao took a sharp dip. But in the years that followed, the numbers gradually recovered and Thailand's tourism sector seems to have escaped relatively unscathed however during that time period at least six further mysterious backpacker deaths have been recorded and so the dark legacy of death island continues so thank you so much for joining me this week guys um as always i always kind of say this but it's very strange when it's not the two of us and we don't get to have any sort of discussion around any of the bits of the case i think you'll join me in saying this is just absolutely tragic and really sad and i don't know about you but i do feel like the The people sentenced for these murders, I don't know, I would have wanted to see a lot more evidence against them. So yeah, really, really tragic. And I'm sure we're going to be looking at some of these other mysterious deaths um, in the future. We'll definitely have another episode looking at, you know, the other potential elements of this case, because it surely isn't just these two and that was that, and the rest of them are horrendous accidents, as the Thai police would want you to think. I mean, I don't know, I'm not sure, but there we go. Thank you for joining me. Do head out, sti- head off and check out st- Stitch Fix. I can't even talk now, I've been talking for the last, what, 40 minutes or so. So, excuse me. Um, do head over and check out Stitch Fix, especially the fact that you can go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash red and not pay a styling charge that this time, which is pretty amazing. And we will be back next week, I think, with the both of us but potentially just me again. So until next week, love you, bye. Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now, each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on Therapy and healing so you don't have to so if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the open house podcast listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and i cannot wait to meet you